1: and welcome back to another episode of Beyond the To-Do List. I'm Eric Fisher. This is the podcast where I talk to people behind the productivity, not just about being more effective and efficient, but about doing work with purpose. This week, I'm talking with one of my favorite authors again, Donald Miller. He has a new book out called Scary Close, and Scary Close may be his best book yet. I was very partial to 10,000 Miles... In a thousand years, and his uh, actually all of his previous books have touched on themes that are weighty in my life. So, what we're talking about is getting real, being honest with yourself and with others around you. And that intimacy ties into you, you can't really do work with meaning or purpose, or work with others with any meaning or purpose, or have any relationships that aren't based on total intimacy, trust, honesty interaction, interaction of those things, the trust, the honesty, etc. So again, it's more of a touchy-feely episode, but I think those of you who have been listening to the show for a long time will understand these episodes play a big part, not just in being more effective and efficient in your life, but doing work and relationships with meaning and purpose. Before we get into that conversation, I want to say thank you to Doodle for making my headaches scheduling meetings go away. Doodle is an online scheduling tool that makes it easy to schedule a meeting with one or more people. In fact, it makes it easy to schedule meetings with just myself and one other person all the time. It doesn't have to be a large group because what's cool is, is it takes that ping pong back and forth. Hey, does this work for you? No. Does this work for you? No. Does this work for you? No. Out of the equation of setting up a meeting, you can just ask somebody, hey, do I? Any of these times work for you, and they can check off which ones do, and then imagine that playing out with multiple people. Imagine, if you will, for a second, a handful of people all around a ping pong table, each with a paddle, but there's one ball, and it keeps going all around the table. It's just that hard to set up a meeting with a group of people, and Doodle makes it that easy, where it's literally all in your hands, except for the one little pass-off to ask, does this entire group of options work for you. The basic scheduling is free. I use it. 24 million other people use it to save time and schedule not just meetings, but events too. You can get started right away by going to beyondthetodolist.com slash doodle. The basic scheduling is free. They also have free personal scheduling profiles called Meet Me. Premium Doodle is available starting at just 39 per year and offers. Business users' additional features such as calendar integration, automatic reminders, and more. Again, get started with Doodle for free. Head on over to beyondthetodolist.com slash doodle and take the stress out of setting up your meetings. I'm once again privileged to speak with Donald Miller about his new book, which is called Scary Close, and it's out now. So go grab it. If you're listening to this, it's uh, coming out in about a week. So welcome back to the show, Don.
2: Yeah, it's great to be back with you.
1: So last time we talked a lot about kind of your superhero origin of getting into writing and the process of working on your first few books. And we talked about stories and even to quote one of the chapters in your new book, The Stuff of a Meaningful Life, which is just awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, we talked about the storyline productivity schedule and landed with Focus and Finish And you'd already written this book at the time. In fact, I'd seen you speak at a church in Indianapolis a week before we talked. And so I'd heard a lot of new, quote unquote, material and uh, was so excited for the new book. I didn't know I was going to have to wait a year. (laughs) But now that I've read it, uh, I can't wait to reread it. So let's dive into this thing because a lot of people are going to be like, Scary Close, intimacy, what does that have to do with, a meaningful life or productivity. A lot. Here's the thing: a lot of people listen to this show because they want to hear about productivity. But there's a reason the show is called Beyond the To Do List, is because we talk about the stuff that's not just about doing meaningful work. Is we talk about everything that has to do with what really affects your productivity, and relationships are a huge part of that.
2: Yeah, I don't think we can be really healthy without good relationships, and so uh, you know, this book is about how. I, you know, hit rock bottom in terms of uh, my relationships because I, I broke up with a, a yet another girl that uh, I had pursued and kind of broke her heart and had some friends, you know, sit me down and say, hey, you can't keep doing this. And so got some help at a this really kind of zany therapeutic retreat center, learned a lot about myself and uh, learned about my patterns, my relational patterns and how they were so unhealthy and uh, ended up in a great relationship and, and married her. So to be a writer, you've got to be productive. You've got to sit down. You've got to do the work. Uh, but at the end of the day, you got to produce something. And so this is, this is the book that I produced.
1: Awesome. I loved hearing the process that, you know, from that breakup on through to Bob Goff calling you up and telling you you were good at relationships repeatedly. What was that process like? Obviously, it's not a fun, happy-go-lucky, you know, hey, I'm going to dredge through, you know, all the failures of my life with relationships and come out the other end awesome. But, you know, you you ended up married and things seem well. So what was the process like?
2: Well, you know, it started out really dark. There's never anything I intended to write a book about. My whole pattern was that, um, you know, it's basically codependency. I would, I would, in my dating life, I would be attracted to a gal and it meant way too much to me. By that, I mean, uh, you know, my whole feeling of self-esteem rested on the fact that this girl would accept me or want me. And uh, I would get into those relationships and then immediately start looking over her shoulder at some other girl that I would feel the same about. And that happened over and over and over again in in a very unhealthy way. And finally broke off a very serious relationship. And like I said, friends sat me down and said, you can't keep doing this. But I had a a good friend named Bob Goff, and still do, who uh, called and said, Don, you know, you do need to do some changing, but you're great at relationships. And he just believed in me through the process of me getting help and figuring out my stuff and finally being healthy enough. And I think of our relationships are are critical, and, and Bob believing in me was the thing that kind of turned me around.
1: Yeah, and he was uh, consistently there just speaking the truth to the point where you started to believe it, right?
2: Yeah. I mean, he saw who I could be and not who I was, which is often <laughs> often the definition of a good friend. At least for me.
1: Yeah. Uh, it was funny because uh, I think that when uh, our mutual friend Chase Reeves was on the show, he referred to Bob as like Gandalf.
2: Yeah, Bob is kind of, um, you know, I always say that if well Disney had bastard children, Bob is probably one of them. <laughs>
1: <laughs> nice. So do you think that it was he was seeing something in you that you could be or was he seeing who you really were? through maybe the role that you decided to construct for yourself?
2: Well, I think Bob has this unique ability to see who people can be. And he's right. He's not just blowing smoke. He's right. We do have, we're mixed people. We have a good side. We have a bad side. We have mixed motives and these kinds of things. And Bob was, um, you know, able just to see who I I could be and believe the best about me. It's one of his really unique characteristics where a lot of us have this Darwinian mechanism where we're we're seeing the bad in people, even our friends, in order to make ourselves feel good. Bob just doesn't go there. And it's one of the reasons he's one of the most beloved people on the planet. I mean, people literally flock to just be around this guy Uh because he sees the best in people.
1: Yeah. Well, and so you started to catch wind or, you know, a glimpse of the vision he saw of you. And so you knew that, you know, you wanted to be that person that he saw in you because, you know, the relationship with Bob had, you know, you trusted him. You knew he was right, even though you didn't want to maybe admit it. So what was it like to work towards becoming that emotionally healthy person who was good at relationships, as he referred to you as?
2: Well, the only reason I I even started the journey, I mean, the journey is I went to a place called Onsite Workshops. And Onsite Workshops is a therapeutic retreat center that's very unique. They only have about 40 people come at a time. You turn in your cell phone and you don't give anybody your last name and you can't tell anybody what you do for a living. So they, they completely strip you of your identity as you walk into a room full of strangers. And over the week that you're there, you grapple with who you are, you know, what has happened to you in your past that has helped frame you as a person and develop your personality. And you just kind of dismantle everything. And... um but what was beautiful about the experience is without being able to tell anybody what I do or my last name and no contact with the outside world, you don't have any of your ace cards. You know, Eric, I mean, you would probably walk in going, Well, I've got this really successful podcast, but you can't say it. And now you're forced to accept yourself as a human being and hope that other people accept yourself just as, uh, accept you as just a human being. And it's an amazing experience. I would have never thought that much of my, identity hinged on the fact that I'm a writer or that I've accomplished a few things. But I got there and I discovered, oh my gosh, it actually does. And I feel almost naked without these things that I've accomplished to say, here's why I matter. And that makes you just grapple with the fact that, that you matter just as a person.
1: Do you think that learning that vulnerability, it, a lot of people, they, they hear the word vulnerability and they think, you know, the word, they they almost Think the word weakness at the same time without even, it's a knee jerk reaction. But I, I think you probably don't think that. I think you think that vulnerability is maybe stripping away of the barriers. Does that make sense?
2: Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, here's the reality if we hide who we really are, if we hide our flaws from people, hiding is a weakness, it's not a strength. And so the very act of only projecting your strength and hiding your weakness is an act of weakness. And it means that you're weak. That you don't trust people with who you really are. And what's interesting is people sense it. So, counterintuitively, when we let people know who we really are, even letting people know our weaknesses that everybody has, they sense it as strength. And I, I kind of thought, you know, being vulnerable was this way to, I don't know, I'm willing to be weak in order to connect with people. That's kind of how I went into it. But what I discovered was the more vulnerable I was, the more of my weakness that I showed people the more strong they thought I was and the more kind of attracted they were to that. We, we really are attracted to people who are honest and open about their weaknesses. And so I, I can understand why people would think, you know, vulnerability is a weakness, but it's counterintuitive. That's not the way it's perceived when you actually open up.
0: Still searching for a great candidate for your company? Don't search. slash to-do list right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash to-do list. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: So really, the, the word vulnerability is, you use it as really just honesty and there's strength in honesty. It's
2: just honesty. yeah It's just telling the truth. Man. Telling the truth and not lying about who you are.
1: Yeah. And I think that, you know, you struggled with that as you were writing, what, the first couple well, three, four books where, you know, it'd take you eight months and another eight months, but then something switched and it took one year, two years, et cetera, because you were being careful. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I think anybody, any of your listeners who've had any kind of success would identify with that. You, in success is one of the hardest things to grapple with because once you succeed, you know, you've got to repeat that performance. You know, you've got people who expect things of you, those kinds of things. And so for me, that, that turned into, you know, basically writer's block where, I didn't want to perform because I didn't want to let anybody down. You know, I I wrote a book and nobody read it. And then I wrote another book and a bunch of people read it. And then suddenly I found it very hard to write books because I had to repeat that performance. And I had this friend, Bill, who's a psychologist, and he kind of set me down and said, "Don, I think I know what's going on in your writer's block. I think you're being way too careful. And one of the reasons that we love your writing from the beginning, you were just never careful. You told us what you felt and thought about everything. And you didn't care who you know read it or who judged you, and I had to kind of go back to that in my career and say, "Okay, well I need to pretend I'm not famous or nobody knows who I am, and and I need to write like I did when when uh, that was true, And that was such a freeing thing. I, I was able to sit down and just start writing what I thought again rather than writing for the critic.
1: So in other words, you got
2: honest again. I got honest yeah yeah I, if there's a theme to this interview, it's <laughs> being honest about who you are is uh is the way to succeed, and yeah uh, it's it's worked for me pretty well
1: that's great, so after your your time on site, what were some of the maybe the next steps between uh that process of of what you learned in the process and and wrote about in this book? I know that uh after on site you met with, you continued to meet with uh, a counselor. And I think at some point you sat down and there were the two chairs. Can you talk about that?
2: Well, I mean, outside is a really unique place in the sense that they don't do sort of one-on-one counseling. You don't sit and talk to a therapist for very long. Instead, you kind of say, well, I'm sort of struggling with uh, my relationship with my wife. And they literally like march you out of the room and you guide a horse around a Field for an hour. <laughs> they they, kind of, they talk to you while you're walking a horse around, and they, and they just pull stuff out of you that's unbelievable. I, I could tell the story about the two chairs, but I, but it's too hard to tell. I, I don't know how to go into it, but, but you know it's in the book. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm not very good at answering that question. It's <laughs> all right.
1: Um, <laughs> at what point did you did you already know uh, Betsy? When did you meet? you met prior to you know the crash and burn of this previous relationship or was it after
2: well we've met about four or five years before we started dating but she sensed that fact, we just talked about this last night she sensed that something wasn't right with me that i wasn't healthy enough to actually be in a healthy relationship and she's she's a really healthy gal and she you know she's one from a family of seven and it's a very very healthy family and so she knew that I kind of liked her. There was some flirting going on, but she just said, you know, this guy needs some help. He needs to get this stuff figured out. And she just wasn't into it. And it wasn't until after on-site and I started seeing a counselor that I I ran into her again. And I knew, okay, I've always liked this girl, but she's never wanted anything to do with me. But since I got some help, I thought, you know, I, I probably would do great at this relationship and really pursued her. In fact, she was seeing somebody And gave her thirty days. I said, "If you can break up with them, and within thirty days, I'll give you a call (laughs) in thirty days, and see if you're, you know, want to go out." And she did. She broke up with them, and we started dating. And uh, yeah, it's just the best thing that's ever happened to me. She's quite amazing.
1: Well, and and that's the thing is, not only did the process of the turnaround of you know getting honest start with the previous relationship, but it didn't stop when you guys got married, or even the process through that, right?
2: No, I well, I mean. You know, honestly, almost every relationship that I've been in before Betsy, the girl was worse off because she was dating me than she was without me. And Betsy was was the first person that I dated who she was just a better person because she dated me. And for me, that was the sign that I'd gotten healthy—that I was now good for somebody rather than bad for them. And still going into marriage, even you know, there's things that I've had to work through. But I don't know very many people who have a better marriage than we did. It's, it's drama-free and affirming of each other and and we're incredibly productive as a couple. Uh, So all that to say that the the therapy and the things that I learned about myself and and relationships, it works.
1: And not just to even say that the book is just about marriage. You go on to talk about close relationships with friends and community and and even your business and the growth.
2: Yeah, it's about about intimacy. Yeah. Yeah, it's about intimacy. It's about just being close to people, letting people know who you really are and building a life that is fulfilling rather than um, having to act all the time like you're somebody. Act like act in order to get people to like you. That got really tiring for me. I, I wanted to, to really connect with folks. And so even in building my company, you know, our core value, we have several core values, but the, the top one is it's this. This company exists to make the dreams of our families come true. And we do this by serving our clients with excellence. So the very core value of our company is all about the team. It's all about the quote-unquote employees who show up at the office every day. This company exists to give everybody in this office a great place to work where they like walking through the door. And we talk about that almost every day. That That's why we exist. We exist to do this. So, you know, I, I went from being an isolated writer to being a, a guy who works on a team and has a great marriage and basically wakes up every morning and enjoys my life. And that's all about figuring out your relationships. We think the money and being productive and accomplishing our goal is going to make us happy. You know, it's not. If you if your relationships are out of whack, everything is out of whack.
1: Yeah. I think somewhere in the book, you say something along the lines of, would you rather have the things that you think will make people love you? Or would you rather have the love?
2: <laughs> that's true. I'd rather have the love.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's the thing is, like, isn't it more efficient and more effective to just go straight for the honesty and get the thing that we're really after versus try to go yeah. around it the other way and,
2: and leverage? or well, pretend we don't want it. Yeah. Pretend we don't care. Oh. We, absolutely, we absolutely care.
1: That's so crazy. I mean, that, that for me was really one of the central messages of the book. What other central messages do you think are in this book? What are some of the big takeaways?
2: Well, I mean, I hope that people – you know, read the book and feel loved by it. Uh, that's the best review I've gotten so far for an email. I feel good. like that's I, good. I, I, I've been loved by this book, if that's even possible. And I hope the other takeaway is that people can look in the mirror after they read this book and like themselves more than they did before they read the book. Because if we like ourselves, we're so much better for the people around us. I mean, the people who really hurt you in your life are people who don't like themselves and they hurt you. So why do we want to be that? I think, you know, the more we like ourselves, the more power we have to love other people and accept the people around us, and we're not in a bad mood and all that kind of stuff. So I'm hoping that this is a book that helps people accept themselves more.
1: Well, I can tell you this, that uh, and this is a compliment without blowing smoke, but when I saw you speak about some of the things uh, a year ago that are in this book, I did not realize that some of that was going to be planting some really deep seeds in me that now... I can look back after now reading the book just recently really helped me prepared me this past year for some really difficult stuff due to being, Mm -hmm. you know, needing to be more honest with me, with myself and with, you know, my wife and my kids and and everybody. And so honestly, I just want to say thank you for that. That I did not even (laughs) know was coming and it,
2: and it helped. I'm glad, Eric. Thanks so much. I'm really, really glad.
1: And actually that brings up an interesting point is we're not just in relationships with, Others were also in a relationship with ourselves. And a lot for me this past year was being honest with myself. Did you have any interest or uh, experience with that through this walking through the book?
2: You know, I met with a friend not very long ago. His name is Mark, and he runs a a business, and he's just really successful. And, you know, we got drinks, and and I went back to my hotel because I was traveling, and I thought, man, I just have so much respect for that guy. And then I thought, well, why do I respect Mark? And I think it's because he's really disciplined, he presents himself well, he's successful, he, he makes good choices. Well, that somehow led to me thinking, well, you know, there's times when I don't respect myself I, and, and why don't I respect myself? And I realized, well, I don't respect myself because I don't do very respectful things. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, I, <laughs> and what if I just made better decisions and were more disciplined? And were, what if I acted more like Mark acted? I wonder if I would respect myself more. In other words, we really are in a relationship with ourselves, and if we want to respect ourselves more, we should do the things that we respect, and then we will respect ourselves. It was just like this major paradigm shift, but it was mind-bending for me, and it, it, it was a game-changer. You know, I decided, well, I think I'm going to do more respectful things, and because I do more respectful things when nobody's looking, I respect myself even more for doing them.
1: That's, man, that's a thought right there. I've not thought... Enough about that. I'm gonna have to ponder that. I'm gonna have to listen back to this episode (laughs) myself. So
2: there you go.
1: So how was the process of this writing this book different? It did seem differently uh, written, I guess. I I mean, I've read all the other books, so this one definitely felt different. Uh, The flow was maybe a little different. How was it? uh, You know, what was the approach to it writing it, and how was it different from your previous books?
2: Well, you know, it's been four or five years since I've released a book, and so hopefully I'm older as a writer. I've spent the last four or five years studying writing, and even though this is my sixth or seventh book, uh, I got serious about just figuring out some basic formulas that people Respond to and trying to filter my book through those formulas. And so, um, you know, I've, as you know, I've studied story for a long time and how to tell a really good story. And I wanted to write a book that used some of those principles and formulas. In fact, you know, I felt like, geez, this book is going to come off as formulaic. People are going to see behind the scenes what I'm doing here. And that's not been the case. I've already gotten, you know, the book doesn't come out till next Tuesday. And I've, I've already gotten more emails saying, I read this book in one day than I have for any other book I've ever written. And it's not even out yet. <laughs> so I I think what that means is if, if we study our craft and listen to the people who've gone before us, who've figured things out and, you know, submit to their advice and hone our craft, it, you know, it works. We, we can get much better at what we do. And, and so I'm, I'm hoping that's the case with this book, but Yeah, I definitely use some storytelling principles and formulas in this book in order to help the reader engage the content.
1: Well, I can – you can count me on the list of people that read it in one day, so (laughs) it it worked. In fact, I really do believe that uh, it's well worth rereading again now that I know know, everything that's in there. I kind of want to go back and unpack it over again, so – I think that, that just that theme of, of getting honest and being honest and, and even thinking back on the 10,000 miles or, oh gosh, I always screw up that title.
2: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, no, everybody does.
1: Okay. Well, that, that other book, that last book of yours where you're talking about screenwriting and all of that and just the thought that, you know, you want to live a good life and how screenwriting and how that, you know, I'm referencing our last conversation. Basically, this whole getting honest thing is, Putting the context of having a good life more in line with actual attainability, because, you know, not only are you – I mean, if a character in a movie, okay, they got to want something. But if they're not honest with themselves, then they're wanting something that's going to – when even if they get it, they won't be happy with it. Sidestepping for a little bit, I know that one of the ways that modern (laughs) people on the internet do their posing or their acting is through social media. I feel like you've got a unique perspective on that, or at least a, a somewhat healthier perspective on that. You know, how can you be honest online without, you know, putting all the negative and all the super scripted
2: positive out there? I love the phrase super scripted positive. I may, uh, <laughs> I may feel that from you. Feel, feel free. Um <laughs> Well, I think there's a danger to leading people to believe our life is more interesting than it is. And, um, that is, in, when we finally interact with them in person, we have to keep up that image. And that means we're hiding and we're pretending to be somebody that we're not. And um, that means we're not letting people really know us. And the thing about not letting people know who you really are is your soul begins to atrophy. You know, telling the truth makes you strong. Letting people really know who you are and accept you as you are or reject you as you are makes you a stronger person because you're deeply connecting with others. It's just like eating better food it just makes you stronger and makes you better and relationships do that. And so I think, you know, I follow some folks on Instagram who their life is so meticulously postured. I mean, the clothes they wear, where they'll take a picture, you know, these kinds of things, they have this sort of romanticized, they're projecting a romanticized view of life that as I get to know them, is completely untrue. And the reality is people may be impressed by them, but quite honestly, people who really know them don't respect them because they're faking it and i think that that's going to do damage to them in the long run and um my wife just unfollowed somebody the other day and i said well do you not like her anymore and she said no it's just that who she presents herself as online isn't true <laughs> i like the real her and uh, and so i'm like losing respect for this person i feel like i'm being lied to every day by their instagram feed that's fascinating and so i'd much rather have friends than people who are impressed with me, you know, who are ultimately strangers.
1: What another relationship that maybe you're not prepared to talk about. What lessons for this book have you learned from your dog, Lucy?
2: <laughs> Lucy is literally sitting laying at my feet right now. Awesome. Uh, yeah, she's really great. I think she's she's uh, seven years old now, and I think about six and a half of those years, she spent about 10 feet on me. Uh, you know, I, I've not given a whole lot of thought to that question, but, uh, you know, I, I would love to be as good of a human being as Lucy is a dog and uh and be, you know, as delighted as uh she is if you were to walk through my door, Eric, you would feel like this dog must worship me or something. She thinks I'm the most amazing thing ever. <laughs> and I wish I I had that too with people.
1: That's awesome. Dogs are special that way. That's that's how my dog is. So mm-hmm. little Chihuahua. No, that's awesome. <laughs> You're doing a lot of work these days with Story Brand and your Story Brand workshops, and even the uh, oh, create your life plan stuff. Can you talk mm-hmm. about how the book has informed your work with that?
2: Uh, well, there's two divisions in my company. One is you know, storyline, and we help people create a you know tell a better story with their life, and then Story Brand, and we help brands you know tell a more clear story to increase customer engagement. And we've worked with Pantene and Ford Lincoln and the White House and all sorts of organizations. So what I really do for a living in between every five years when I release a book is I help brands figure out their communication style. And so that's basically uh, something I created based on the elements of story after 10 years of studying story and how well story compels a human brain. I think it's the most powerful tool there is to make people pay attention to you. And so I created this brand strategy process because of that. So I'm not sure what you mean. But the book is different than, than those things. But the book is, you know, I really write books as a hobby. But I did use everything I've learned about the story and studying story in the book. And hopefully it, it helps people engage it more.
1: Well, and I think you're even helping these people that you're working with as well as the brands that you're working with to get more honest themselves. And that's where when they do that, they communicate better with their customers and create even deeper relationships there?
2: Yeah, I I think you know there's some formulas for selling things, but inauthenticity will ruin all those formulas. And if we really care about our customer and we really have a product that will change their life and we really pay attention to how we're selling that product, we will engage and connect with our customers in a powerful way. And there are great examples of that in corporations. I think Apple is a great example of using narrative uh, processes, strategies to engage customers. But if, we don't, if we're don't, if trying to manipulate people, that's the beginning of the end of our brand. But if we have something they really need and we deeply try to connect with them as individuals who need this product, we see raving fans come out of that.
1: Those are some great words to to land with. I see that our time is running out. So where can people find you online?
2: Well, if you're interested in the brand process, it's storybrand.com. And we've got, a, we've got some tools that will, will really help you there. And then I blog at StorylineBlog.com. So StoryBrand.com is the business stuff. StorylineBlog.com is all the the personal development stuff.
1: And to get the book, they can go to ScaryClose.com, right?
2: Right. ScaryClose.com, and it's available on Amazon or Barnes & Noble.
1: And you can get the uh, soundtrack, the playlist for the book.
2: For free, yeah. Yes. I asked about 15 friends of mine who are musicians to send me their favorite song about intimacy, about relationships. So the soundtrack is is phenomenal and you get it for free whenever you buy the book.
1: Awesome. Don, thank you for talking with me again. It's been great.
2: Yeah, my pleasure. It's always fun to do. so.
1: Make sure to go pick up a copy of Scary Close by Donald Miller. It is his best book yet. You're going to love it. Tweet at him. Let him know that you picked it up. Let me know you picked it up because I'd love to know what you think of it. And again, take the stress out of your meetings and your scheduling of your events by going over to com slash doodle to try doodle for free and get started using their scheduling tool to make scheduling your meetings less painful. Again, that's com slash doodle. Thanks again. I'll see you next episode.